Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 61. Hope everybody's having a fantastic week out there. Uh, I am struggling through some massive computer issues this week, so uh, if the show sounds a little funky, please forgive us. Got a great episode for you. I'm going to be joined by the wonderful Dan Aaron in just a moment to talk all about his new recording called New York Family. So please stay tuned after this message from our sponsor, Lost Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Lost Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Lost Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Lost Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Lost Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Lost Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Lost Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Lost Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at lostcabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Lost Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, I'm about to be joined by a great drummer up in New York City by the name of Dan Aaron. Uh, Dan is originally from Israel uh, and has been in New York for quite some time now. Just been doing tons and tons of great work. Monster jazz player. And I was really excited to have him on because he has a new album out called New York Family that is just absolutely phenomenal. It's one of the 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 best jazz records that I have heard so far in 2019. So I was really excited to have him on the show. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Dan Aaron. Good afternoon, Dan. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, no, thank you for taking time. We really do appreciate it. Um, Dan, just so you know, I mean, we typically try to go back to the very beginning, and I think your story is is really cool and unique. Tell our listeners where you're from and how you first got into music and drumming. Well, I'm from Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Israel, in the Middle East. And my first uh, exposure to good music is, of course, my parents. And I grew up with my mother 
and we always had uh she always had uh pretty great records in the house vinyls she used to listen to a lot of classical music and some early jazz sort of randomly because we are we did uh, uh live in the middle east but she had a fats waller records and then she had some stevie wonders oh cool and i think uh those first few uh records that i was exposed to exposed to really influenced me and a bit later on um I guess when I was about eleven or twelve i unfortunately I don't have a romantic story about that because I don't know why I started playing drums, but I wanted to play drums and I asked my mom uh if I could get drum lessons and she said yes but but you're not getting a drum set until I see that you're serious <laughs> and it took about a year of me uh practicing on a practice pad and she saw that I was pretty obsessed with music and I had a very good teacher, this guy, uh, Ronnie, local guy from Jerusalem, and we didn't do, we hardly did any technique, and, but he used, to, he used to make me play with music, and it really turned me on to, he really made me passionate about it. So I, maybe I didn't have a good bass uh, of rudiment or technique, but he made me love it so much that I think uh, for that I really thank him, he was a great teacher. And then uh, my mom uh, got remarried. My parents got divorced. So my mom got remarried with this guy who's a music lover, a wonderful guy. He's my stepdad. And he introduced me to jazz pretty much. He, he had lots of great records. Um, I remember him coming back home with a cassette of uh, Don Sherry, Art Deco. few great records he has, mostly cassettes and vinyls. And I started falling in love with jazz and music from the world, basically from all over the world. And, uh, and yeah, so basically I started studying with a guy in a town that's pretty close to Jerusalem who is an American guy, this guy named uh, Jerry Garbal. And he introduced me to the history of jazz. He started... Uh, He started, he was actually very methodic, methodical, you say? Methodical, right? Yes. Uh, which was very helpful. He started with uh, Afro-Cuban music and West African music and Latin music and the blues, uh, many origins of, uh, of American jazz. And then he moved on to uh, record, uh, to g- uh, give me recordings from uh, New Orleans and uh, from the early, early jazz. And then he moved on to swing and moved on to bebop and uh, so on and so on. So he was very empathetical and it made me have an understanding of kind of, of how it, it works uh, chronologically. Because growing up in Israel, and this is before internet, before YouTube, we weren't really exposed to the real, you know, how it really works or the real great musicians. So he gave me a good idea uh, uh, about the, the history of it. Sure. And then I was lucky enough to uh, grow up. Uh, I was, I'm a little younger than uh, a few of my, uh, my peers slash teachers. Uh, a great bass player that you probably know of, uh, Avishai Cohen. He was a few years older than me, and I was really influenced by his music and music. I was fortunate enough to work with him 
right when I uh, when I finished uh, when I graduated high school, I was fortunate enough to play with Omer Avital, another great bass player, band leader, uh, Amos Hoffman, who was a great guitar player and oud player, and then uh, the late Arnie Lawrence, who was a great musician, a great alto player, and also uh, he he. Uh, established the jazz department at the new school. I, I think it was Manis back then in, in New York City. Sure. But he put that together. He was a visionary, kind of a very sweet, interesting guy and a great musician. And he, I don't remember what year, but he moved to Jerusalem. And he had a vision to bring jazz to Israel and to uh, use it as a tool for peace, for peacemaking, which is, a wonderful, wonderful thing. And he actually, he made a lot of things happen. He, he established a school and he brought a lot of great jazz musicians from New York. He brought Max Roach, great late Max Roach. And he took us, uh, the Israeli kids from Jerusalem to play uh, in Palestine, in Bethlehem, in Ramallah. And he put Palestinian musicians and Israeli musicians together to play which is so important and so beautiful and nobody really does it that I know of. So he was a great guy. So I was fortunate to, to uh, study with him. I, I think my capacity, I didn't have the capacity to really understand a lot of what he told me because I was too young, I think, mentally at least. But now I even appreciate it more, what, what he did and his message. He was a beautiful human. Well, and uh, yeah, that's true, isn't it? Well, I mean, that's just brilliant to... Uh, you know, because I mean, obviously, you know, and, and I'm not trying to make light of the situation at all. But when you think of jazz music, you don't think of Israel as a hotbed for jazz musicians. Right. I mean, it's um, but but I think it's brilliant to bring that message of peace to a, a region that that has had, you know, lots of trouble over the years, needless to say and to try to use music as a tool of peace. I think that's just absolutely brilliant. Now, when you were learning the history of jazz and you were starting as a, as a young player, you know, you said your teacher kind of took you through it chronologically. Who were some of the really big influences that, that stuck out to you? Um, well, I'll, I'll start with going not chronologically because the first tape, he made me like a mixtape. Okay. Of, and on that mixtape, there was some Count Basie uh, um, and there was, uh, there was uh, Duke Ellington and there was earlier stuff. There was Hot 7, Hot 5, I think. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, there was a recording, I don't remember the name of the record or who was the band leader, but Roy Hanks was on it. Okay. And that rocked my, jazzed my world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, I, I, would, I fell in love, really. Roy was, that sound and the phrasing was something so unique to me. That really made me fall in love with the stuff. But then afterwards, of course, like people like, uh, uh, of course, Papa Joe Jones, uh, Sid Catlett before that, uh, man, like everybody, uh, of course, Max Roach, uh, of course, uh, Kenny Clark, of course, Elvin Jones, uh, Roy, 
all, all of them, Jamie Cobb, Philly Joe Jones, it's endless. It's, it's, I really fell in love with all of them. I have to say, they all have such different, unique sounds. It's just so cool to see the development. It's like, wow, this came out of that, that came out of that. Uh, you hear Jamie Cobb, and like, it's, it's, is that coming from Philly? But not really. It's his own thing. It's, I just, I really dug it. It was really cool. And also, and also he was cool. It wasn't only jazz. And I should, I should tell you, like, I'm not a jazz drummer per se. I'm not, I don't play only straight ahead jazz. But I, I love, I love, uh, stretching out and I, I do many other things. And I, I always loved listening to other things. Sure. Absolutely. So not, uh, I mean, I love many drummers who play many different styles of music. Yeah, don't don't we all? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's a shame. It's a shame if you don't, right? I mean, what a waste to close it, to close your mind, to, to to limit your mind to one style. Or, I mean, especially jazz these days, it's so open. There's so many different styles under the umbrella of what they call jazz. It's it's really great. I mean, I, I welcome it all. Yeah, for sure. Well, it, so you had all these great influences. I mean, everybody you just named are, you know, it's kind of the Mount Rushmore of, of jazz drummers, really. You know, I mean, it, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's who we all uh, try to emulate and study uh, for sure. When did you decide to make the move to the States? And, and was that out of necessity or, or was it... I guess what I'm getting at is, did you decide to come here because it is such a, a musical hotbed? Yeah, 100%. That was the, that was the reason. I, I somehow, and this is, again, I don't have a romantic story about one point that I decided, but somehow I was tuned in to, like, I knew the, the goal was to get to New York. I also visited... A couple of times, I visited with my stepdad, who was uh, who was here for a year uh, on a job, whatever he did. Um, I came to visit, and I was here for a couple of weeks. This is back in '94, '93, something like that, a long time ago. And I got to see some friends play, and I got to see like one of the versions, one of the old versions of Birdland. I think it was uptown back then. Okay. And I got to see a few spots, and of course, it turned me on more into the music. And then I got to come here again when I was 17. When I was 17. And on that visit, I already really visited all the clubs, and I sat in. I met a few, uh, few musicians. I sat in a few clubs. And then I was like, Okay, I'm coming back to New York. <laughs> and then it was, I was able to do that when I was 21. I came here for one year, uh, sort of feeling it out, then went back to Israel for a few months and came back here uh, to live here. That was 2001. Okay. No, 2000, I'm sorry, the end of 2000. Okay. Yeah. And then I, I uh, started school. I went to the New School University. And I did the whole four years uh, while gigging and learning in the clubs. Sure. Well, and I, you know, I mean, I think, I think you have to have both, right? I mean, I've had all sorts of guests on this show that, 
you know, went to Berkeley, went to, you know, uh, Kodak, went, you know, University of North Texas, University of Miami, all these great schools. But all of those great drummers, while they were in school, were also out there, you know, paying their dues, so to speak. And you got really busy really fast after you got here. Um, you, you, you've you played with just kind of a who's who list of musicians um, that had to feel just incredible to you. Well, it's, you know what? I, I, I'm, I actually think I've been here for a second. You know, it wasn't that quick for me. It's, it's very random. It, it, I, I think, I mean, it's random and not random. I actually think that a few, some people come here and they immediately play with like the most famous musicians and this or that, or, or like it takes a year. For me, it actually, actually, yes, I did play with some famous musicians or people that were more that I knew through other people. But I think I did, I am kind of a late bloomer in terms of I played with many, many different people, but throughout the course of a kind of a long time. Yeah. So yes, I, I've, I've done a lot of things, but it didn't happen immediately. I, I was very, very, very lucky to, yes, very fast, play with uh, Harry Whitaker. Right. Harry was a great, great, great pianist, great musician. He passed away, unfortunately, about 10 years ago. And I was extremely lucky because I came here and I started working in a restaurant um, uh, as a busboy. After school, I would go there. And when I night that I didn't have gigs, I would bus tables also to have some more money. And through that, I got the gig in that restaurant with him because he used to play there every night and I used to sit in. The management liked me, he liked me, and somehow we hooked up. So in that sense, I was extremely lucky because through him, I met so many great musicians that are real, like New York, Joe Magnarelli and Richie Vitali and uh, so many other, uh, many other musicians. Pat O'Leary, um, uh, Saul Rubin, um, Marion Collins. And yes, I gigged with, with all of them too through that. So, yeah, so in a way, yes, I guess I was extremely lucky. But, but I also feel like it took me, I've definitely had a long road. Slow, surely, but slowly, slowly, but surely. I don't know. I'm not sure how to say it. Yeah, sure. Going up slowly. And I, and I, kind, of, I kind of feel like that's, my, that's more my style. Like building it slow, maturing, growing expanding my horizon. I, I, I have to say, I really love New York and where I am in New York musically and in general, more and more every year. I'm happy to say. Well, I mean, it was definitely a road. Yeah. And, and look, you know, and we're going to talk about the record because, um, you know, not only are you doing all these incredible gigs, but you know, the, the New York family, um, it, that, record came out, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, what, five months ago, something like that. It was late 2018. Um, uh, December. Okay. December. So, okay. Uh, so three months, ago. three months ago. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a baby. Uh, well, it is quite the baby. Let me just tell you that right now. It's, mm, you know, you. you're welcome. I've been listening to it, um, you know, for the past several days, uh, you know, prepping for our interview, and I'm, I'm really taken by how um, it, it 
it does contain a little bit of everything. And and I think I read a quote um, that you gave about the record that, you know, it, you tried to put a little bit of everything that you've been doing on the album and, you know, mission accomplished, but not to the point where it's, you know, not cohesive. You know, it's it's really good and, and it's sonically, it's very, very pleasing. So and you've got a list of A players, you know, on the record. T- tell us a little bit about, you know, putting that group together and, and how you came up with the New York family, because I think that's a, a, a great story. Sure. So first of all, thank you for liking it and for recommending it. I, I do appreciate it and don't take it for granted. Um, I, I would hope that what pleases my ear and my taste also uh, speaks to others. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, so yeah, th- this was this was a very sort of organic process, I have to say, because I I have been playing with many different musicians, and as most uh, sidemen, I guess, in New York or in the world and New York uh, work, I guess you get to a certain place where, yes, you play with dozens of different people, but you have your regular sort of family, people you you will call for your gig because. You love playing with them the most, and you love hanging with them the most. They'll call you uh, for some of their gay projects. So you, you, it's like, uh, especially if you're a sideman and you don't play only one style of music. I, I, I play with some bands who play more Latin music, and some bands who play more Middle Eastern music. So, so I do get to play with a large uh, variety of, of uh, different styles of bands, but, but. It, it narrows down after a few years, I think, or a decade or two, to a family, to people you really trust around you. And for me, it was like, by the time I decided to record this record and after I had enough music, I noticed that, that I pretty much knew who I wanted to play on this record, which, which is, uh, I'm really glad I got to that point. I, 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 it wasn't like that in the first record, which of course it was also musicians that I loved and some, but, and this one, I'm really, I had a vision ahead of time who I'm getting. So the first obvious choice was Itai Chris, who is an amazing flute flautist and a great composer. Yeah. And I had the pleasure of uh, playing his band called Telavana, which is a band that plays a mixture of Middle Eastern, that's the Tela part from Tel Aviv, and Vana is the Cuban part of the music. So, it's, so uh, I love playing in his band, and I also played, Itai and I have been playing together probably since I'm 18 years old, 17 years old. He's from Tel Aviv, I'm from Jerusalem, and we used to travel to play with each other. And we shared an apartment here in New York, and we've toured the world together with a number of different groups, including our groups. And we're very good friends. So Itai was a uh, very obvious choice for me. And I'm actually featuring uh, a song by him uh, on the record. That's called uh, Two Summers, which I love. Yes. And through Itai's, through Itai's connection, I got Marcos Lopez on percussion. Marcos is a young uh, percussionist, amazing musician. And I met him through Itai's band, through Telavana. And I don't know, we've been for what, three, four years together. And we have a great connection musically. Uh, we're friends. 
He's a great, great, great cymbal player, great conga player, all around wonderful musician, can sing, super easy to hang out with. We have a wonderful connection. Boom, that was my choice on percussion. Then we have Adam Birenbaum on piano. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, Adam and I are good friends uh, through music. We met uh, a while ago uh, through our mutual friend, Ellie the Gibri. They used to be in uh, Al Foster's band together. Since then, Ellie moved uh, and back to Israel, and he's doing amazing over there. And uh, Adam is still in Al's band, and in many, many other things, including the Village Vanguard Orchestra and a number of different great bands. And I've been fortunate enough to uh, have him in my trio for the past five, six years. And he calls me to play with his trio sometimes. We did the Montreal Jazz Fest together. And we have a great connection. We love hanging. We love playing. He's one of those people who can read anything, can play any style. He always swings. He's always inside. I call it. He's always, he always speaks the language. He knows bebop. He knows jazz. But he stretches out. I don't, I don't need to be careful with him. I don't need to play phrases that are only bebop. And we play music. We play music and we keep our ears open. And I love playing with him. Sure. Through Adam's connection, I met uh, Luke Selick, who's a great bass player. And he's the bass player of the record. And Luke and I have known each other in the city from the, from the scene, like Smalls and Smoke. And we're always friendly, but we didn't play that much together. But then uh, Adam hired us for a gig in Montreal. So we got to know each other better, and we felt really comfortable playing together. And we started uh, doing uh, local gigs in New York together. And he became our obvious choice. He's super supportive. Luke is a real bass player. It's funny because he's playing. He's a playing of a real bass player. He's super supportive, keeps his ears open, doesn't play what's not necessary, but also uh, mentally he's like that. He's, 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 uh, you feel comfortable with him in a gig, on, this, on the bandstand, in the studio. He's fun to be around. He makes you feel safe. So it's, it's, uh, he, was, he was another obvious choice. And then, uh, who do we get to? To Zafir. Zafir is a friend of mine, uh, also from New York, although we are from the same city, from, the, from different sides. Zafir is Palestinian from East Jerusalem, and I'm from West Jerusalem. So unfortunately, when we're back there, we can't really go visit each other that much because of the sad and stupid reality. Yeah. But here, New York being uh, the place that it is, we can hang together, we can play music, and we're a very good friend. Justin is an amazing musician. He actually plays uh, percussion and violin and kanun and oud. Probably even more than it. Oh, it's, it's even Ney, I think he plays a uh, flute, Arabic flute. But on my record, he plays oud. I'm featuring him on a couple of tunes. One of them is uh, Horace Silver's piece. And one of them is mine, called Gits. He has a beautiful intro there. And Zafar is a special musician. Special musician is, is real. He's uh, just plays super beautifully and is super sweet cat. So another of his church right there. Last but not least, we have uh, Arnaldo Batista, who I know also through Itai. This was kind of a fluke. We were on the road, and our percussionist couldn't come. This is a Telavana gig, Itai's gig. And Hainardo was playing uh, in a festival in the same city with someone else. So Itai got him to play percussion with us and sing with us. 
And also we clicked. He's a wonderful percussionist and a wonderful singer. And on the one vocal tune on my record, he was the obvious choice. And as I uh, had foreseen, it was really easy and fun to work with him. This whole record, this could have been a very difficult uh, production because we had a few uh, setups and breakdowns to do in one day of recording. This was done in one day? This was done in eight hours. Oh, my God. (laughs) Eight hours. I kid you not. Oh, man. I was very prepared. I was very prepared. I I, I made food the day before. I went to the studio and I put it there. I set up drops the day before. But also, it was... I think because it's a family and because we all know each other that well, we knew the music we rehearsed. We had a gig at Smalls that same week playing the music. But I really do think that it's the connection between the people and the fact that we know each other so well musically and mentally and friendship-wise. It was very, very easy. Very easy. It was the, probably the easiest recording session I ever did with anyone. And this was my record, so I had the potential to be a lot more stressed out. But it was, uh, no, I'm really happy to say it was, it was a really fun, easy experience. We did everything was like first, second, or third take. Usually first or second. Yeah, that that makes life a whole lot easier, uh, no doubt about it. And and this is this is including we did have to overdub some stuff. Like I, I overed up more percussion that I play percussion. We overed up uh, me singing, and with all we had to uh, uh, set up and break down the oud, set up and break down the percussion. It was really yeah, it was fantastic, a good experience. Well, and it sounds like it, you know, I mean, I think those things, the, the vibe in the studio will certainly translate to the, the track or, or the record, you know, I mean, if, if everybody's stressed out and not getting along, I, I think it's not good and you can usually, you can usually hear that in the finished product. And, you know, this is just great. Now I'm going to give a, a plug real quick to Itai because, um, you know, obviously I'm not super familiar with with your music. So I did some research prior to our interview. And, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, pre-internet, pre-YouTube, but it's pretty awesome. You can go to YouTube and just type in Dan Aaron. And, you know, one of the things that I found, and it's incredible, it is you and Itai, he is playing flute and you are playing a snare drum with brushes. And it is just some of yeah, the most we have, we have a, incredible brushwork, Dan. It oh, is. Man. Thank you so much. Uh, it's incredible. You know, I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm like, OK, here's a guy with a flute and a guy that with, uh, you know, a snare with brushes. I wasn't expecting what I heard. I, it was amazing. Thank you, sir. Oh, you're you're welcome. Um, where did you learn to play brushes like that? I mean, I sit down with a pair of brushes, and and nobody wants to hear it. <laughs> well, um, man, brushes—it's a whole art form. But uh, first of all, from my first real uh, brush technique or a couple of exercises that I did, I learned from a guy who's a wonderful drummer, wonderful teacher. And uh, one of the people who got me started, this guy called Shai Zelman, who's a wonderful musician. He lives in Tel Aviv. And one of my musical fathers, for sure, who plays really, really good brushes. And he showed me a few, uh, a few exercises. 
then I would have to say that, of course, watching some videos that were available on, uh, on VHS, I watched Fresnel play uh, brushes. I saw some other people. But then probably the most influenced I was would, would be uh, by, uh, by Ed Tipkin. Oh yeah, of course. Listening, listening to uh, to the trio, uh, to uh, Oscar Peterson trio, and in specific, there's one record. Uh, I don't remember the name of the record, but it's all Cold Porter. It's basically Oscar Peterson trio plays Cold Porter. Maybe Love for Sale. Man, his brushes there. It's it's one on one brushes. It's not only the way he plays the brushes, but also the phrasing of how he controls the band, what he does before he moves from brushes to sticks. What he does with, uh, when he comes back from stick to brushes, how he moves from uh, how he reacts from when Ray Brown uh, goes from two to four and vice versa, it's just really so incredibly simple and amazingly beautiful that that was a huge influence on me, huge influence on me, and then. Uh, more uh, recent, or, or not recent because I, I checked it out like 15 years ago, but, but definitely Carl Allen, man. Like, like Carl Allen's brushing, you can hear it on records, on, on, on records with Benny Green. Oh my God. Such great brushing. A lot of guys have amazing brushes, but something about Carl's brushing is so precise, yet super relaxed and loose. I love it. I love his brush playing. And then... Part of uh, why I'm comfortable with playing a snare drum only, or snare drum and hi-hat, or just snare drum, is there, the gig I did at a place called Arturo's with Harry Whitaker. I used to play there three times a week for about 10 or 12 years, playing just a snare drum. I mean, I had a, a hi-hat and cymbal too, but, it, but sticks were not allowed there. Okay. Because, uh, we needed to play quietly. So basically, I would play about three nights a week, five sets of playing brushes. So uh, it's probably that, I would say. It's probably that. And also, I don't know, sometimes for me, it's funny because people think it's harder. For me, sometimes I feel like it's more simple. It's less drums to deal with. It's less uh, coordination to deal with. It's one drum, yes, but there are so many different colors and sounds in the drum. It sometimes makes me focus even more. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we yeah. have only one element and you have to mess with that. Uh, as opposed to a full drum set. Check out Leon Parker, you know, he, he plays with no hi-hat, usually only one cymbal. Sounds so amazing, and like, he gets so many colors out of one cymbal or, or only out of one snare drum. I never miss anything in his playing. He always sounds incredible. He doesn't play a lot of drums or a lot of cymbals, never plays with a hi-hat, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know. So, so playing for so many years in that snare drum really helped me. I think. Well, it's an art form in and of itself, and I, you know, I'm telling my listeners right now, you've got to check out Dan's brushwork in some of these YouTube videos because it's just, I mean, it is a master class. It's incredible stuff. So, kudos to you, Dan. Thank you, sir. Oh, you're you. you're very welcome. Now, now that the record is out, I mean, obviously, you know, you want everybody on earth to buy a copy and everybody should do so. Uh, I, I'm saying that. 
Um, <laughs> you guys are doing some shows, and I know that you're you're also playing some shows as as a trio and in in different configurations with with some of the same players, but. Are there any plans on taking New York family on the road for a proper tour? Well, yes, there is, actually. Yes, there is. And actually, this is going to be a, a combined thing with uh, Itai. We're going to combine forces. We're going to join forces, as we did a few times in the past before. And uh, we're embarking on a Europe-slash-Israel tour um, late October until uh, mid-November, or actually mid-October. We have a couple of dates already in Greece in uh, mid-October, and it's going to end probably in Israel or close to Israel. Okay. Uh, Mid-November, and we're planning France, we're planning Italy, we're planning uh, Switzerland. Not everything is booked yet, so I don't want to announce uh, dates. Sure. But it will start on on, uh, October 14th in Athens, in Athens, Greece. Okay. Um, Yes, yes. Well, that begs. We, we, we have we, we have a show. The, the band has a show in New York in May, a big show, at Small Jazz Club. Yeah, I saw that on the website. Now it begs the question, though. You guys are touring Europe. Um, you know, it sounds like in in, in Israel. What about the states? And, and the reason I I ask it this way, you know. Obviously, there's not a lot of huge jazz tours that happen in the United States anymore. You know, I mean, I, I there, there are a few artists that do, certainly, but it's not, yeah. you know, it's not as common as it once was. So is there not the demand for you guys to tour in the States as much as Europe? Because, I mean, obviously, Europeans just love jazz. Well, i tell you what it is. First of all, I can't really speak as an authority on the subject because 99% of the tours I'm a part of, I'm not the band leader. Sure. So I'm not the one uh, dealing with booking stuff or, you know, that's number one. Number two, the phenomenon of uh, jazz groups touring for a few months in the United States is pretty much gone. That doesn't really happen anymore. So people, you fly for a couple of days here, two weeks there, uh, a festival here. But the phenomenon of touring, you know, people used to tour year round. Right. So that doesn't really happen anymore because you don't have weeks and clubs anymore. Unless like you're one of the, the biggest, biggest, biggest names. You don't do uh, a week or two in one club and then go to the next. And then you'll do a night here, two nights there. Uh, maybe a big festival there, but, but but the nature of how it works doesn't really allow you to stay on the road that long, you know? Yeah. So, and to your question, as far as my band is concerned, I would like to, yes, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm contacting festivals, there's some talks, but I think because I'm a late bloomer in terms of band leading, people know me as a, as a sideman, you know, or maybe don't even know me, they know me as a part of it, someone like a great band or whatnot, and who was the drummer? But to know my group, I think I'm starting a process now. I'm learning, actually, as I go, even though I'm uh, not a young uh, kid. But I'm learning now how it works. And I see that it's a process. You know, you put the record out. uh, You do promotion. You uh, maybe do a few uh, uh, showcases. You do a little tour that you might not necessarily make any money in or maybe even lose or, you know. And it's a process, and then the next one maybe will be bigger. Then that festival will hear about you. It's it's networking. It's uh, 
It's a lot. It's a lot. And, and uh, I'm definitely learning as I go. I'm definitely learning as I go. And I think the fact that really 90-something, 99% of the, the touring I did and even the playing I did in New York is as a sideman with different people, I never really messed with that. You know, I never really dealt with that part, that business side. I, I, believe me, I'm, I'm, I'm so much more on my computer every day than I ever did. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the time I spent, I don't know how much I like it, but I see that it's <laughs> part of it. And I see now I'm so much more aware now that I see like a Facebook post or that I see uh, someone hustling and, and sending me the emails that, have been, that they've been sending me for the past 10 years. And I'm like, why are they sending? I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm getting it only now. I was very naive about that for many years. And I don't regret it. I spend time doing other things, but, uh, yeah, but it's, I'm, I'm learning as I go and it's growing. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the themes that we talk about on the drum shuffle here, we, we really love to hear from drummers who have spent a lot of their career as a sideman taking mm-hmm. charge, taking control. And, you know, that's one of the things that, that I wanted to do with this show was to tell other drummers, look, you don't just have to go from sideman gig to sideman gig. You, if you want to put in the time and the work, you can take control of your career and be a band leader. You know, it's just, I, I think it's far okay. more common in jazz than it is in rock. You know, I grew up in the rock and roll world. You've, you know, I can't think of a single rock band that was led by a drummer you know, right off the top of my head. So, you know, we find it really interesting when someone like you says, wow, it's a lot of work and I'm learning as I go. That's, that's such great knowledge to share here, Dan. You're welcome. So uh, now when you're not super busy, you know, playing gigs with all the, the different projects that you're involved in, um, are you doing, you know, studio work? Are you teaching lessons? Are you doing anything outside of, of your groups? Um, well, I'm doing, I'm doing sideman, sideman work also sometimes that is not really, uh, that is not online or not like, not as uh, flashy or something that I do, uh, Oh, you know, this is actually, this is actually is online. It's something that I do that I really love. I'm a part of, uh, I work with the Harlem Repertory Theater, which is a beautiful, uh, theater in East Harlem. And there's a production of, uh, of Oz, The Wizard of Oz there. And oh, yeah. It's produced by the Yip Harburg Foundation. Yip Harburg was the lyricist to all those beautiful songs okay. from that show, including Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Okay. He's the lyricist uh, to a lot of songs you probably know, like, uh, uh, what do I call it? Uh, Old Devil Moon, Brother Could You Spare a Dime. Many beautiful songs from the Great American Songbook and from shows. And I was fortunate enough to, uh, to know uh, his son and his, uh, his wife, Dina Harbert. And I've been working for them as the musical director for the Oz show in Harlem, which keeps me busy at times. Now, we actually, we're in, we're in the middle of a run. So we have a show every two weeks. And that, uh, I'm involved with, uh, because of some copyright issues, I was involved with actually composing 
a few uh, different parts that uh, that we couldn't use. So I, I uh, actually composed the the witch theme <laughs> and, a, and a few other things. <laughs> That's killer. That's awesome. And that yeah, and it's really fun. It's a jazz production. I have a great musician playing with me, a bass player called uh, Yoshiwaki, uh, Japanese who lives here for the past twenty years, and uh, another Japanese uh, pianist called Martha Kato, who's a wonderful composer and and uh, and pianist. And I've been lucky enough to do that. Yeah, we, we, we came up with really hip uh, jazz arrangements and, and not really jazz, just arrangements, more contemporary arrangements to to the songs. And it's been a really wonderful experience. They're, they're a great, great uh, theater group with very sweet people and very talented people. So that's something that keeps me busy. And then I also uh, sometimes, sometimes play uh, Middle Eastern percussion in... Uh, in Jewish services, actually, in synagogues. That's uh, extra extra bread every month and kind of fun. Yeah, for and sure. And I teach sometimes, sometimes through the new school and off-campus uh, faculty if uh, somebody wants to study with me. And I teach in my studio in Brooklyn. And, yeah, I try to stay busy. Well, you know, and the reason I specifically ask about lessons, you know, we, we have listeners all over the world and, you know, we always try to say, look, if you can, you know, your, your normal drum instructor, that's great. Um, I, I've had drummers on this show that you would not think were still taking lessons, but they are. We all are, you know, and it's, I take of course, I mean, we all do. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that. They have one drum instructor. If you ever have the opportunity to, whether you live in the New York area or not, but if you have the opportunity to, to do an hour with Dan, you should do it. I mean, right? Uh, please. <laughs> I, I love, no, I really actually, I actually really love teaching. I love teaching and I do feel like I have uh, things to share, experience and techniques. I'm always down if someone is in town. I actually, that, that happens. Some, some people come to town even if they're visiting from Europe, from other places in the States, and they'll see me playing at Smalls or elsewhere. They ask if I teach. Yeah, then we meet in my studio or even before a gig at Smalls or whatnot, and we do an hour. And also I do Skype lessons. Okay, good, good. So, and, and people can find you through your website, I, I'm assuming, on Absolutely. all that stuff, right? Absolutely. Okay. Well, and, Yeah, these days it's so easy. Like, website, Instagram, Facebook, it's all, it's all out there. Yeah, for sure. And, and the web address, and of course, we'll have a link up on the drumshuffle.com, but it's danaron.net. So, uh, for, for anybody that's, that's looking to maybe do some studying uh, with Dan, I, I strongly uh, recommend it. Now, Dan, tell us where everybody can go out and and grab the record, uh, Dan Aaron's New York Family. Okay, so the record is sold online, and you can, first of all, download uh, through uh, City Baby, and there is a site called herenow.com. Which has all the all the connecting dots to where to get it. The Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Deezer, CD Baby, it's all in here. The website is called herenow.com. So it's Dan Aran, that's D-A-N-A-R-A-N dot herenow.com. 
H-E-A-R-N-O-W.com. DanAran.HereNow.com. And then if you, if you, it's enough to Google my name or to Google Dan Aran New York Family, there will be a link. iTunes, Apple Music, CD Baby, Spotify. It's all there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Dan wouldn't say this, but I will say this as somebody that tries to sell my own music. Buy it at CDBaby.com. Dan gets more money that way. <laughs> uh-huh, true that, true that. True. You know, we all love Spotify because it's so easy, but I was looking at some statistics and, you know, I think a single stream on Spotify these days pays like two tenths of one penny now so true true it's pretty pathetic <laughs> it really is but, but hey but I'm, I'm not uh i want if you get my uh if you hear my listen to my music on spotify or apple music i'm not going to be angry as that, long as it gets to you i'll be happy that's exactly right that's why we put it out there because it, but buy it on a cd baby that's right but <laughs> if you're gonna buy it buy it on cd baby that's that's right, the place right. to do it so um right no but i'm really happy you know i try to uh it's also like people talk about the, the changes in, in New York and it's too expensive to live here and music is shifting from Midtown and now it's in Brooklyn. It's like, man, life is ever changing. The world is ever changing. It can't be too dark. And uh, if this is how it works, I'll go with the flow. Absolutely. You know, people want to download the, the stuff for cheap. Okay. I'll sell CDs on the gig. That's right. I mean, you can't spend your time uh, you know, being bitter about stuff like that. No, you can't. And, and you know, I think the most gratifying thing in the world, and you said it right there, I'll sell the CDs at the gig. There's nothing better than somebody purchasing the physical product from your hand at a gig because you get to make a friend in that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that has happened many times in many companies. I, I mean, people, that, stay, people stay in touch. People come to a gig a year later somewhere elsewhere and, oh, we met in New York after the gig, blah, blah, blah. So it's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, music is great that way. Yes, it is for sure. Now, Dan, one of our traditions here on the drum shuffle, we always ask our guests, um, as we try to wrap up, we always ask our guests for a good piece of advice. Um, what advice would you share with other drummers and musicians? Hmm. Well, uh, there's so many, you know, there's so many, but I would say uh, to the more beginner ones, I would say be realistic about practicing. Be realistic. Find yourself a program that works for you. We are all very, very different. I have friends who practice for eight hours a day. I have friends who practice three times a week. I find that I do around an hour, an hour and a half a day. Sometimes I'm on the road, I can't. Sometimes I have other things I can't. Sometimes I have music to learn, so, so I do a lot more. But being realistic and finding the right balance between kicking your own behind, but also not, not being too harsh. So if you're not accustomed to practicing a lot, and you want to get good real fast, don't say, I'm going to practice three hours today and tomorrow because you're not going to do anything with that. Be realistic. Think about your attention span, how much you can do. Do that for a month. Even if it's half an hour a day. It's about the, the continuous, it's about doing it every day, the repetitive uh, 
motion, the muscle memory, the understanding it. So even half an hour a day, if it's every day, it's so much better than, uh, than, than, than having non-realistic plans. You know what I'm saying? About practicing. Absolutely. And then for, the, for someone who's already playing, another advice I would have is be, have also the right combination of being confident enough in a musical situation like when you know you're going to play a certain uh, style of music or a certain vocabulary, really, really know it. Really, really know it. It's uh, it, the great John Riley told me in a, in a, in a lesson. He was, he was like, uh, he asked me, who do you feel like playing with? And he told me about himself. Like, like he said, uh, I wanted to play with Chick Corea. Or I forget what he said. And then he thought to himself, if Chick calls me today, can I do the gig? You know what I mean? <laughs> and he throws his music at me. Can I actually do it? And, and it's made him realize, okay, if he wants a gig, he has to really, really, really know the music. And specifically, and that's any musician, but specifically, specifically as a drummer, I feel like you have to know the music better than anyone because you have to set up it, set up different sections, take everybody with you. You're such a, you have so much power as a drummer. You have so much dynamic power, so much control. So you better use it in the right way. So knowing the music amazingly, but also not enforcing, not, not uh, being uh, too aggressive with like, I know where it is, blah, blah, blah. Being also enough open and listening and finding the dynamics between really knowing what you're doing. And sometimes, by the way, knowing what you're doing and knowing the music better than anyone will make you more relaxed and less wanting to show people how much you know. Because you're not going to have that, that, that problem of uh, trying to prove yourself. You know what's up, and you're letting things happen, you know? And if you want to say something, you say it musically, with grace, with a smile. It's, it's very, I think that would be an advice that I would have, if that was clear in any way. It, it was crystal clear, and it was great advice, Dan. Um, again, thank you so much for coming on the Drum Shuffle. We really do appreciate your time. Um, it goes without saying, please keep us up to speed with everything going on with all your different projects. You're welcome here anytime. Um, I just had a blast talking with you. Uh, folks, again, it's danaran.net. New York Family is the record. Go get it. You will not regret it. Dan, thank you, sir. I really appreciate you and your time and the beautiful show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. We'll talk to you very, very soon. Cheers. All right, everybody. That's going to wrap up episode 61 of the Drum Shuffle. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really, really do appreciate it. We simply cannot produce this show without everybody tuning in every week. As I do each week, I'm going to ask you to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen in. It certainly helps us out and it will ensure that you don't miss any of the guests that we have coming up over the next few weeks that you are not going to want to miss. Next week, I am going to be joined by my pal, Kevin Charney. Uh, Kevin is uh, currently out on the road with Jesse Dayton, just doing tons of good work. And uh, he is a gearhead like me, so I'm sure we will geek out on all things drum gear uh, as well as talk about his career and his playing. Just a super dude. Uh, love hanging out with Kevin. So you're not going to want to miss that episode. 
We love hearing from you throughout the week. Keep your emails coming to us. The Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is our email address. We do answer every single one. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com, and you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. While you're there, click on those social media links. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We do try to have social media uh, output each week, so you can follow us there as well. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.